0: Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38 will be our text for this morning. So you can open in your Bibles if you've got one handy, or there's a, a giant, not large print, there's a giant print, King James version in the pew, but it's, a, it's old King James, so good luck with that. Uh, Luke chapter 1, verses 26 through 38. I'll read the text and we'll get into it. in her old age, has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands Forever. So here at the church, First Christian Church, we are in a series working through the book of Luke. So that's why we find ourselves this morning in a Christmas text. I thought we only read this portion of Scripture during Christmas time. Well, it's actually just part of your Gospels, and as you work through and read the Gospels, you come uh, come across this very important text of Scripture, the the prophecy about the birth of of Jesus. And so we find ourselves this morning, uh, though it is not even Halloween yet. Shopco might, probably thinks it's Christmas. Uh, Dollar Store might think it's Christmas. They've got their stuff out, I'm sure, but, uh, or maybe they don't yet. I don't know for sure, but they get it out earlier and earlier every year. Well, I'm even one-upping Shopco. We're getting Christmas out right now. Uh, it's not even October yet. So, but we've, we've spoken a little bit about what Luke's purpose is in writing This book. And he wants people to have, he wants Theophilus, who he's writing this book to, and any others who would read this book, to have certainty concerning the things that they had been taught. Certainty about Jesus Christ. We talked the first week that Christianity is not meant to be some leap into, of faith into the dark. That we're just jumping off of a cliff and hoping that God somehow catches us. That's not the picture of the Christian faith. The picture of the Christian faith is to be a step onto solid ground. That these events happened in real time. This is real history. That when we come to Christianity, we come to it with certainty about this is who Jesus is. This is what Jesus has accomplished. This is what Jesus promised to do and did do. And so Luke here is writing that we would have certainty about the things of Christ. Last week, another miraculous birth was prophesied, right? They had the birth of John the Baptist last week was prophesied. And the angel Gabriel shows up to Zechariah in his service in the temple and says, your wife, who is advanced in years, being very polite, your wife, who is advanced in years, is going to conceive and you're going to have a son of your old age. You're going to name him John. And that is who becomes then John the Baptist. We get to his birth next, or in a couple more weeks. But a miraculous promise coming to Zechariah from the angel Gabriel. And, and Luke puts them together for sort of this, um, this double emphasis of these amazing things that are going on at this time. God has been silent since the book of Malachi. For 400 years, no prophet has shown up, no angel has shown up, God has been silent. And then here we have in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, Gabriel shows up twice. And so you think, you know, well, gosh, maybe God was just really active. You know, the angels are just showing up everywhere. And at this rate, we might see Gabriel 48 times in the book of Luke, right? In the first chapter, he's shown up twice. No, (laughs) this is exceptionally rare. Gabriel shows up to Zechariah, which we read last week, to to Mary, which we we have just read this week, and to the prophet Daniel, way back in the book of Daniels, chapters 7, 8, and 9. There's only three places in this big book, this big collection of books, where the angel Gabriel shows up. So Luke is putting them down, that Gabriel is showing up, is meant to be a big flashing light, Something unique and amazing is going on, and we have the first miraculous prophecy, which is that a barren womb—someone who is advanced in years, who has uh, not able to have children anymore—is all of a sudden going to conceive and bear a son, and she does, and she hides herself away for five months. And in, as amazing and as miraculous as that is, we now have this. Greater miracle that's going to be prophesied and happen, which is not only not as it a barren womb. It is a virgin womb. It is a womb who has never known a man. We know what that means, right? A, a, A virgin womb. Something is something even more miraculous, more impossible than a barren womb without the aid of man. A son is going to come in to the world. Jesus is going to be born. And Luke writes them down this way to shock us, to raise our attention to something incredible is going on here. And we sh- I want us to be able to read our Bibles with that kind of eyesight that is in awe. What is God up to? Something incredible is happening. That not only with a barren womb, which happens many, not many times, but a few times in the Old Testament, barren wombs are opened up. Sarah is kind of a chief example of a woman who's advanced in years and yet has the child of promise, Isaac. And God has done this before with a barren womb. But here the prophecy is that a virgin womb who has never, without the aid of man, a son is going to be born. Something very special is happening. There's four lenses that I want us to look at this passage through or four conclusions or whatever. And they are this. The first is the humility of God. The second is the incredibility of God. The third is the unstoppability of God. And fourthly is the inability of mankind. The humility of God, the incredibility of God, the unstoppability of God, And the inability of man. Startling is the humility of God we have in our passage. If we go back to our text here, something interesting goes on. If if you were to show, if you were to write a story about a God showing up to be with his people, how would it go? Something more along the lines of like a Greek God showing up with a thunderbolt and whatever, and he shows up and yo, here I am. Heads up, I'm God, and you're gonna know it. And there's this sense of what we would expect God to show up huge and and be this big, mighty king. And what we find from Luke's narrative and his telling of what happens is that God comes and condescends not just to even become man. It would be a condescension for God to even come down and rule as a man because he is God eternal. And so for him to even condescend to become a man, even if he was the mightiest man on earth, would be a condescension. But what we see in Christ is going—is God coming low, low, low. And we, we miss it, but because we, hear, we think Nazareth is famous, because we hear Jesus of Nazareth all the time in our Christian, Christianized culture or whatever. We hear Jesus of Nazareth, so we think that's a a common term. Nazareth is basically, until recent archaeological findings, they had no idea where the place even was. It's been within the last hundred years that they've even been able to dis, been able to discover where Nazareth was. This is a nowhere place. When it says that the angel Gabriel sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, the, the, the Jewish reader, the reader of this time, would have been like, why would God go there? You ever meet anybody, do you ever, uh, you know, this is a question I have for people whenever they move into town, um, and it goes something along those lines like this. If they've just moved into town for whatever reason, I kind of say, why? What, what are you doing? <laughs> Does anybody else ever ask, ever ask that? And not, I, I Listen, I live here, so I'm not knocking Mount Air by any means, but it's sometimes don't you ever say when you meet somebody who's moved into the area, your first question is kind of like, uh, what are you doing here? How did you pick Mount Air? How did you end up here? And there's this there's this sense in which when Gabriel shows up in a city of Galilee named Nazareth, it's like, what in the world? Why is God going there? This is a town of a couple hundred people maybe, north of Jerusalem. God doesn't show up in in Judea, in Jerusalem, where you think, God would show up the center of His people, of His Jewish people. He shows up in a little town called Nazareth, way up in Galilee of the Gentiles. Christ is born in Nazareth, in Galilee of the Gentiles, to a young virgin betrothed to Mary, the town carpenter. She's not marrying the high priest of the synagogue there, anything like that. She's betrothed to Mary, the town carpenter, and this is where God... Chooses to show up. And when where God chooses to show up. In the Gospel of John, when Nathan, when one of the disciples uh, is leading another one to come to Jesus, he says, Jesus from Nazareth is here, and he famously says, Can anything good come from Nazareth? <laughs> Surely not. Nothing good comes from Nazareth. But this is where God chooses to send his son. God comes low. God comes humble. God comes, becomes poor. God becomes ostrich. He becomes out of the way. And why does he do this? You know, all other religions will tell you how to climb your way back to God. Religion is usually seen as a ladder, right? And so God is here. We are here. Here's the rungs you need to start climbing to make your way back to God. Here's the good works you should do. Here's the attitude you should have. Here's all the things you've got to do in order to climb your way back up to God. And you have list after list after list after list. Christianity comes to us in total contradiction to that thought. Christianity is not a story about how you climb your way back up to God, that you, how you exalt yourself, raise yourself up enough to get back to God. Christianity is, Christianity is a story of how God came down to be with us and to rescue us. This is what we see here in Jesus coming to Nazareth in Galilee of the Gentiles, is God coming low. Religion will tell you, climb your way back to God. Christianity is a message. It is news. This is how far down God has come in the face of Jesus Christ, in the life of Jesus Christ, to rescue you. This, God humbles himself, lowers himself down. Philippians 2 talks about this humility, that Jesus does not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he humbles himself taking on himself in human likeness, becoming in the image of man, uh, in order, and, so, and becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Let me just read it, since I'm going to mumble trying to and, and bungle it, reading, uh, reciting it. Have this mind among yourselves, this is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, But he made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men. And being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. God comes down to rescue his people. Christianity is a message about the humility of God. John MacArthur says it like this, says, Christmas, the birth of Christ however, honors a divine person and remembers a divine event. It does not celebrate human achievement, but divine accomplishment. What we see at Christmas, what we see at the birth of Christ, is not a way for humans to achieve. It is a message of how Christ, how the divinity, how the divine has accomplished for us. Do you not see the lengths of to which God is going to go in the rescue of His people. How far God is willing to go in His rescue plan. He is ready to condescend to the point of becoming like us. Taking on flesh, becoming poor, struggling, suffering, being persecuted and despised and ultimately dying on a cross. Why? Why? As we get later in chapter 19 of Luke he says he does this to seek and to save the lost. If you were to ask the question, does God care for you? Look at the humiliation and the humility that he takes on himself that you would be rescued, that you could be saved, that you could be forgiven of your sins. God humil- takes, humbles himself all the way down to Nazareth and Galilee, the Gentiles, Because of his care for you. Because of his desire to rescue you. So that's the humility of God. and we got to get moving. We're talking about now the incredibility of God. That was the humility of God. Now the incredibility of God. Not only is God going to humble himself by becoming one of us, he's going to do it through the most radical and miraculous of events, the divine and miraculous birth from a virgin's womb. Imagine Mary's shock at this point. She's likely 12, 13, 14 years old. We don't know how old exactly it is. That was about the age that girls were betrothed back in the day. And and so betrothed was stronger than an engagement. When you had a betrothal, you were signed up. It took a legal divorce to cancel out a betrothal. And they would stay betrothed for about a year, and then they would have the marriage ceremony. There was no contact in that year's time, there was no, uh, no cohabitation or anything like that in that year. And then they would eventually get married. And, and Mary is betrothed to Joseph. And it, what happens? An announcer shows up. Gabriel shows up. And what does he say that he's going to do for Mary? What does he say about Mary? Verse 28, he came to her, being Gabriel, and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. She was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. We don't really know what freaked her out, and we won't get into it. But she's troubled by this, which is a common response to an angel. It could be something along the lines of the angel calling her a favored one. What have I done to be favored, she might ask. She's greatly troubled at it. In verse 30, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. She finds favor with God. With God. She's shocked by this. And I, I just pause a moment here <laughs> because many in our culture would not be shocked to find favor with God. We have done a great job in our self esteem culture building ourselves up and in, in raising, uh, we have such a high as highly as estimation of ourselves that to find favor with God to most people today is kind of like, of course, God likes me. I, you know, I don't get it right, but of course God uh, finds favor with me. Of course God shines favorably on me. Well, when, God, when Gabriel shows up and says to Mary, you found favor, she's shocked by it. She's astonished. How can I find favor with God? There's an understanding of Mary's own sinfulness that she has, contrary to Catholic doctrine, which would teach you that Mary was sinless. I don't think that's accurate. That's not what this is talking about. Mary knows her sinfulness, knows that she's not worthy to find favor in God's eyes, and yet she does, and she's shocked by it. That God would favor sinners, that God would favor Mary, is astonishing. We should be astonished by this thought that we could find favor with God. But she does, she finds favor. And going on in verse 31, the angel then says to her, Behold, as shocking as finding favor with God is, (laughs) Gabriel's going to up it a little bit. He says, you're going to, behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Okay, <laughs> that's a little shock. Jesus is Joshua, it a, means a, a, word, a, a name, meaning Savior. Not only has she found favor with God, but up, up a step is you're going to have a son, and you're going to call him Jesus. Okay, we're getting a little, this is getting kind of wild. And then he goes on in verse Thirty-one, or Verse 32, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to Him the throne of His father David and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever and of His kingdom there will be no end. Mary likely was astonished. <laughs> How in the world, this is what the incredibility of God Talk about the humility of God, the incredibility of God. That God is going to do all of these things through Mary. through Apart from the aid of man, God is going to have Mary bear a child. He's going to be called the Son of the Most High. He's going to be holy and called the Son of God, we see down in verse 35. This is the one we've been looking for all along from Genesis 3.15, where we have the curse of the serpent, which is said that uh, the serpent, you will crush, you will bruise his heel, the seed of the woman, you will bruise his heel, and he will bruise your head, or crush your head. There's a promised coming snake crusher, all the way back in Genesis 3.15, the promised seed of Abraham, the promised coming Davidic king we have in 2 Samuel chapter 7, this coming Davidic king. Someone is coming to rescue, to rescue, to rescue God's people. He's going to rescue the house of Judah. He's going to be a son of the Most High. He's going to sit on the throne of His father, David, and His kingdom, there will be no end. This is the one we have been looking for, she has been looking for all along. The one who in Isaiah 53 is going to be the suffering servant who's going to bear the iniquity of his people. This coming one is coming. And to, to highlight the reality of that this is the one who I've promised is always going to be coming, God does it through a virgin birth. God does it through a virgin womb. I'm tempted at this point to try to like personalize this and say, you know, God can do amazing things through any sort of circumstances. So any circumstance you have, uh, God can do amazing things through it. And I guess that's not entirely wrong, but I don't want to overshadow the reality that this is for you. (laughs) This is the great thing that's being done for you. That God is bringing His Redeemer. God is bringing... His reconciler, the snake crusher who's going to defeat sin and death, God is bringing him, and he's doing that for you. For you. We we should wonder at the incredibility of God, and he's highlighting it by doing it through a, a girl who has never known a man. So we have the humility of God, the incredibility of God, and now I want to talk about the unstoppability of God. How is God going to do this? It's Mary's question in verse 34, right? How can this be since I am a virgin? This doesn't have the same skepticism that Zechariah does when he kind of wonders, How can this happen? My wife's too old for this. But how can God do this? And the truth that, that Luke is highlighting is that if God purposes to do a thing, He will do it and He will not be stopped. If God purposes to do a thing, He will do it, and He cannot be stopped. It's almost as if God says that a barren womb is no longer incredible enough to prove my point. <laughs> A barren womb is uh, taking a, a woman who's advanced in her years and unable to birth a child. Doing that is not incredible enough for what I'm about to do next. I've got to one-up this thing. And not only it's not going to be a barren womb. It's going to be a virgin womb. He's going to send his son through a virgin womb without any aid of man. And how can God do this? How can God do this? Because if God purposes to do a thing, he will do it and he will not be stopped the unstoppability of God. God purposes to do what He wants to do, and it cannot be stopped. Daryl Bach, in his commentary, says this, The emphasis of the passage is not on the manner of Jesus' birth, though it is clearly a virginal conception. Rather, the focus is God's gracious work in fulfilling His promise to deliver His people. For Luke, the birth's miraculous character, Serves only to demonstrate God's power in carrying out his plan. God purposed to do this. And because God purposed to do this, God is unstoppable. And what he purposes to do, he will do. How big is your God? How big is your God? Lots of talk nowadays about free will, and I'm fine with talks about free will, but some people put God at their mercy, quoting something about free will as though my free will trumps God. And I want to just say, I've got, God has no trouble with free will because His is the freest will, and He has infinitely more power to work His will than we ever would to work ours. Free will is fine. As long as we are under the understanding God has the freest will. God, you know, and in no way can you tie God's hands and what He purposes to do. The unstoppability of our God is meant to be a bedrock truth in the Christian faith. God does what He purposes to do. And no man can stay Him. Not a barren womb, not even a virgin womb. God will accomplish what He purposes to accomplish. Angel Gabriel says this plainly, verse 37, right? He says that, for nothing will be impossible with God. God will do His unstoppable work in redeeming His people. And the reason why I say that God is, in His humility and in His and in his unstoppability. The reason why I want to stress God's unstoppable ability to work His rescue plan is because of the fourth reality is our inability to do anything about it. If God were not unstoppable, if God were stoppable by us, we would stop Him in our sinfulness. Uh, the inability of mankind, do you know why the humility and credibility and un- unstoppability of God is so important? Because we in contrast to God, have the direct opposite of unstoppability. We only have inability. No matter how hard you try to climb that ladder back up to God, God is clear that you have fallen short of His righteous standard. For all have sinned, Romans 3.23, and fall short of the glory of God. We need God to humble Himself and come down to us because we cannot climb up. We need God to make incredible moves to rescue us because we have made incredible mistakes that have pushed him away from us. And we need God to exercise his unstoppable power in our rescue because we are powerless to rescue ourselves. This is the story of what God is doing. Christianity is the story of what God is doing. Don't let anybody tell you Christianity is a religion telling you what you should do. Christianity is a religion about what God has done to rescue his people through the work of Jesus Christ. This is really good news because when we dig deep enough and long enough inside of ourselves, when the Holy Spirit gives us eyes to truly see ourselves, we discover our incredible inability. That verse in Romans 3.23 when it's talking about we've missed the mark. It isn't just like we've taken aim with a target and we've pulled the bowstring back and we shoot and, oh man, I just missed the bullseye. Sometimes we think sin and transgressing against God is like, oh, I'm just an inch off the bullseye, but I didn't do too bad. Transgression against God is less like missing the bullseye and it's more like taking the bow and shooting like this. Not anywhere even close to the holy, righteous standard of God. We all, descendants of Adam and Eve, are born dead in our trespasses and sins. And we sit by nature and by choice under the just wrath of God. Unless something radical happens, unless something radical happens, we are without hope and we are lost in this life. Unless something radical happens, mankind, dead in his trespasses and sins, is without hope. Unless something radical happens. And this is what Luke is trying to placard for us to see. Something radical has happened. God has been born of a woman. God has been born through a virgin womb. Jesus Christ has come to this earth. He's lived the righteous life we should have lived. He's died the death that we deserve so that through repentance, turning from our sinfulness, and trusting in Christ... His work on the cross for our redemption, we would be forgiven of our sins and reconciled back to God. The wrath that was due to us is laid upon this Savior on the cross. And the just righteousness that He deserved is imputed and given to us by faith in that work. Something incredible and wonderful and radical has happened. God has humbled Himself. God in the person of Christ has been born a virgin and He has come to rescue. Just lastly, will we answer like Mary? Let it be to me according to Your Word. Mary is worthy of our respect and admiration as a Christian who hears the call of God, who hears the purpose of God, and says, let it be. Not let me deserve this, let me earn this, let me climb my way up, let me, let me, get, let me pay you back for this. She simply says, let it be. And when it comes to the Gospel... I plead with us this morning, I plead with you this morning to echo Mary. God, may it be for me. May this be so for me, that Christ would be my rescuer. I would turn from my sins, turning my back on them, turning away from that which transgresses your holy, righteous character and trust in Christ. May he find repentance in us and faith in the life and death of his only begotten Son, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, I I ask for your Holy Spirit to give us eyes that we would marvel at who Christ is for us. Such a household name in so many of our lives that we should, from time to time, ponder and reflect and wonder that you would be born a man, that you would humble yourself, that You would put Yourself on display through radical circumstances to show the radical nature of Your mission to seek and save those who are lost. Father, grant to us repentance here this morning and faith in Christ that we, in, in our inability to get back to You, would be rescued and adopted as Your very own children. pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.